we're a religious missionary order. And in that, you know, we take a vow that we are going to get our funds from the order. And it's, you know, and it's a big deal. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's fine. And it's, I don't think that's ever even going to go away that we are all individually going to be asked to raise support towards that. But that doesn't mean that I only should get what I just happen in my narrow window of the world have, have been able to acquire of the people I've met. And maybe God um, wants to use us one another to provide for one another. Welcome to Listener, a crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's guest is Michelle Davis, who works on the crew ministry partner development team. And she's going to share with us about current challenges and opportunities with fundraising, especially during a pandemic. Enjoy the show. Michelle Davis, welcome to Listener. It's so good to have you. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Let's start out by telling, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you uh, got involved with crew, etc. Oh gosh, that's so fun. Yeah, well, I'm originally from rural Indiana, East Central Indiana, um, near a tiny town called Newcastle that has an Applebee's, that's about it, and um, <laughs> you know, so that's fun. I grew up on a farm. And went to Purdue University, which is this lovely school in the Midwest that um, I live in Columbus, Ohio now, and everyone thinks that as soon as you move here, you have to become a Buckeyes fan. But I am proof that you can live surrounded in Buckeye territory and still love your alma mater. So I, you know, I do. I just still love Purdue. It's such a great school. And, you know, before I went off to college, I would say that I was like a believer in Jesus in some sense, but had no idea how to walk with God and was at a bit of like most freshmen at a crossroads in my life where I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was about. And I was just really hungry to figure out some things. And so I filled out probably every single religious preference card at the activity fair. Honestly, any cult could have swept me up. Sam, it was like, I'm just like, somebody call me. Okay. And luckily, um, a woman who is still a, like a, one of my, a woman I look up to so much still today, Anna Arias, um, called me up, invited me to her Bible study in Shreve Hall. And was, it was so great, you know, like learning how to study the Bible, these super fun girls, the banana bread was good. There was like, honestly, just, it was a projection from Jesus that, I got into such a great community really from the get-go. So that's how I got involved in crew. And I would say those four years were just so transformative, you know, of um, getting a heart for the world to know Jesus and really learning how to walk with him, how to read the Bible without falling asleep, you know, big stuff those, those <laughs> that can happen in college. Yeah, important skills. I'm <laughs> glad you brought up banana bread because there's this – Mm. friend I'm still connected to and she was involved in our ministry at Washington State way back when I was first working for crew and she's she'll say this the sweetest things to me like you made the biggest difference in my life and I'm so glad and I'm like oh like what kind of things do you remember 
And she's like, well, <laughs> I remember making banana bread at your house. Oh, I love that. And I remember the banana bread. And it's so funny because it's like <laughs> those things matter. When you're making the banana they bread, do. you're like, well, I don't know if this matters, but. It does matter. It does. I mean, comfort food is called as such because comfort is available <laughs> right there. That's right. I love it. Okay, so Michelle, what was your first staff assignment? I'm guessing you didn't jump into the role you're in now. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. Um, so I interned for a year at Purdue, um, working with a lot of the same students that I was still friends with. So it was a fun victory lap, so to speak, after college. And then I stinted in Freiburg, Germany, which was delightful. I felt like I lived in the Sound of Music movie all the time. It was just so beautiful. And Germans are so fun to share the gospel with because they'll just, you know, you're talking about Jesus and then they'll look at you and they'll say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Let's go get a drink or let's go get a coffee. (laughs) And they're just so blunt, but they're still your friend and there's still space to live your faith. You know, in the midst of that, they, I don't know, it was a very freeing honesty, to be honest. And then I came back from Stent, uh, went to new staff training, and was really, like, ready to go anywhere. And that was back when the catalytic ministry was a big deal in the U.S. campus ministry. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll work with anyone. But I, I genuinely thought they would send me Chicago or Cleveland. I had friends there. I was, like, kind of hungry to live in a big city. And then I... This was back when they gave you the envelope and you open it up and it said Columbus, Ohio. And I was like, hmm. And I, I literally folded it back up and put it back in the envelope because I didn't believe it. Like, I was like, why am I going to Columbus? I'm not receiving so, this. Yeah. It's like, that's like, it's whatever. It's like basic, I guess. I don't know. But I will say I've come to love Columbus. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm committed. I've been here for 16 years. Um, I have a mortgage. I have a family here. I, I'm in. I live in Ohio, so it's fine. There is some really good food here. And I hear there's sports happening all, all around me, but whatever. <laughs> okay, we need to talk about Germany for a second. Cause, so Ooh, Darren and I were in Switzerland on a work trip with crew when he was doing SLI. And okay. do you know who Boppy is? Boppy is like this, at least he used to be this staff in Europe and who was... Just awesome and and such a charismatic speaker. Anyway, he came and spoke to us and he was like, I don't understand like uh, Americans. Like Americans will just, like if you get up and speak and you're not a good speaker, it doesn't matter. Americans will be like, good job. You should do that again. You did so (laughs) awesome. He goes, we don't do that here. No, they don't. If, Mm -hmm. If you get up and you're not a good speaker, we'll just be like, you should not do that. That was not good. <laughs> and Darren and I were just crying because it's so true. It's just like, oh, yeah. I don't know, something about certain parts of Europe where they'll just be like, you should not do that. So we, we always say oh, that to yeah. each other. <laughs> <laughs> In like a German accent, like, you should not do that. You should not do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You should not do that. Love it. That is not for you. Yeah, that's that's my experience of Germans also. And I, I mean, I'm into it. I like it. I like some honesty sometimes, so that's good. Okay, so now you have lived in Columbus for 16 years. Oh, yeah. I'm, so they, they moved me to Columbus. I start working with um, the Central Ohio team. 
Um, and we, on that team, worked with all the small private liberal arts schools that were not that other big school that's here in Columbus, Ohio State. They're, you know, I, I, you know, I love the Ohio State team. We're such good friends. But there's two teams here. Like, there's that team, and then there's another one. And that does, like, I mean, driving all over Ohio. I have driven this state so much, so much, so much driving. Um, and, you know, did that for a long, like quite a while, really liked it. And uh, let me see, I guess like a little bit of an intersection of that is the story of how I met my husband, who when we met, we met at our church. We actually met on MySpace, which dates me hard. Wow. You're I like know. a thousand those, years old, Michelle. I am a thousand years old. So, um, Yes, I have very good skincare products. Call me about that later. Um, and, but it was like, we, you know, we went to the same church and it was like, I was just my space friending all my new friends at this new church I was going to. And um, he, my husband, Joe, he became a Christian when he was like 26 through this church. So he'd never even heard of Campus Crusade for Christ. We weren't even called crew yet then. And I really like this, like, you know, super cute Asian rock star librarian guy who asked me out at church. Um, but it was like kind of weird when like on, I think date four, I'm like, just so you know, no pressure. But I had this job where if we like were to get serious and get married, I would maybe have to quit my job. <laughs> or you'd <laughs> or have you to come have... work for who I work for. <laughs> oh, right. Or you'd have that's, to work here. That's the way my husband courted me too. He's like, want to get married? <laughs> you have to work for who I work for. And I was like, what? I know. Yeah, that's, it's, you know, and yes, it was just, it's a product of the time that it was back in, I guess, 2007 or something. And so, but my husband had been praying like consistently daily for a wife and a new job and he was open to doing ministry. And so he said yes to both and here we are, you know, but he was, um, Joe was like on staff with crew for, I feel like, I think it was eight years and then just felt a call to do something different. So he went back to school to become a nurse and he's now a nurse, um, working with children at the children's hospital downtown. It's such a good job for him. And so I'm so staff. Awesome. I feel like I've just lived all the things, if you you're know, listening, the listening, the stint. Yes. I just want to say, if you're listening and you don't know what SOSA is, oh, tell us, Michelle. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's just you know, crew and their acronyms. It just stands for spouse, spouse on spouse affiliate. Yeah, I guess or staff on staff on spouse affiliate. Something like because my husband's my husband's considered a spouse affiliate. So I mean, he was clearly qualified to be on staff because he was. And so he's technically an affiliate staff now, but he doesn't, he doesn't really do anything. It means you work for crew and your spouse doesn't. We had to make a name for it yeah. because it used to, be, I mean, when I got married, it was the same thing. It was like, yeah, Darren was like, either I have to stop working for crew or you have to start working for crew. And I was down to try it out for a few years and now it's been almost 20. So yeah. Yeah. There you Isn't go. Crazy. It'd be fun to like find out how many staff married in you know yeah. like that yeah I just I would love to know the number that should be a number we know I know I'm sure it's out there so mm. your husband's a nurse how is it going for him during the pandemic it's a bit anxiety provoking uh he for about half the no well okay he just started his job with 
with kids. And he's actually more exposed potentially now because he works with like, um, like same day sick and, you know, clinic work like that assesses kids. Not all kids have to go to the emergency room. So they have a clinic there too, who just is handling some different things. But before that he worked with cancer patients and so they were pretty like locked down, making sure no one had COVID to even be on his floor. So he really, you know, whatever. But he did work a COVID floor once. He had to float to it. And there was a guy, a patient of his, who was in the hospital for 40 days. 40 days. Um, a relatively healthy 50-something-year-old, which is not old anymore, right? And um, he did recover and got he got to go home but he spent 40 days in the hospital Mm. so I think that freaked me out yeah a little bit married to an essential worker yes oh yeah well pray for those essential workers I know we do Mm -hmm. so let's talk about how you went from field staff with crew to now you work for the MPD department, which again, because some of my friends listen to this podcast, they don't know the crew (laughs) speak. Ministry Mm -hmm. partner development is how we raise funds to work for crew. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening and you don't work for crew, we actually, we raise our salary and beyond so that we can work for the organization. And, um, it's funny, a friend of mine recently, a friend of mine's husband, I've known them for 10 years, recently he said to me, wait a minute, you raise all of your own, your money to do what you do? We've been <laughs> friends for 10 years. I was like, yeah, we do. I know. It's like people don't have categories really for that. And he didn't grow up like evangelical, yeah. so he doesn't know, you know what, how right. missionaries do what they do. Yeah, totally. It is, it's different. It is different for sure. Um, yeah. So when my husband decided to leave staff, um, our children at the time were five and two. And I, I, I mean, I still, I love the ministry of crew. I love students. I love, you know, the important parts about our, you know, job of introducing people to Jesus, helping them grow in community. But I was also just a bit at a, like, um, a season of life crossroads myself where I was thinking maybe I want to try something different in the organization. And maybe I want part of my job to be able to be working from home. I mean, honestly, true confession, Sam, I kind of took the MPD job because I really liked the idea of working from home when I had little kids. And then I discovered that I love what we, um, what we get to do in MPD in terms of being like a lifeline for staff who are taking a huge step of faith. Um, a lot of times in isolation, which is not cool. And hopefully we can change some of that, but, um, they're taking this huge step of faith, trusting God and, we get to help tether them to encouragement and to community and to come alongside them. So, I mean, there is like the supervisory part of the job for sure, but I really like the cheerleader part of the job and the, um, the friend who comes along and like really helps staff to thrive and succeed to, to do what they feel like is like God's step for them. 
you know, in working with our organization. So I actually, for the first year that Joe was off staff and I was um, full-time without him, I was 50-50 campus and MPD, and I just realized I was looking forward to my coaching calls so much. And, um, and loving to the vision that from my very basic desk in very basic Columbus, Ohio, I was a part of movements all over the world as I got to, to coach and train and launch missionaries to go everywhere. And that's been so fun. And, um, I don't know. So maybe it's like, okay, to sometimes just say, you know what, I just need a, I just need something practical to change in my life for my season, because maybe through that, God will help you discover new ways to live out your gifts that I, I literally would have never considered this. Like no, no offense to any of my coworkers in MPD who happen to be just like literally the best people. I love my coworkers, but I just wouldn't have known that you were so great because I was just like, I th- you know what I mean? I just thought I had found my next 20 years on campus and, you know, two things shift and all of a sudden I, I needed a new plan. So, um, yeah. So after coaching for like about a year, I was asked to take on a bit more leadership and started coordinating, like being an MPD coordinator is like the, like I was over, well, like Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, we call that cohort numbers, nine, 10, 11. Um, and also started working more with our new staff orientation. We began a, like a revamping of that, which I'd love to tell you more about here in a hot second. And, um, oh gosh, I just feel like one thing led to another. And now I'm on like a national MPD team. I'm not even like technically campus ministry anymore. Uh, and I am the director of innovation and resources for ministry partner development on the U.S. national MPD team, which does not fit very well on a business card, just so you know. It looks like too many words, <laughs> but it is it is such a fun job. I just love getting to dream and problem solve, and I, I long to see the day when every person who is interested in being on staff with crew has helpful inroads for that to happen, and this, the, and the contextualization they need to do that no matter what, where they have come from in the world and to get more missionaries funded to be doing what they are called to do. Awesome. That's my job. That's so fun. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're doing that and that your team works on that. Tell us about just some of the challenges that you've seen over the year to staff getting fully funded and maybe what some of the opportunities are too. Yeah, that's um, such a good question. And that's, we're going to go deep dive. Okay, deep. This I'm ready. Deep. I got my scuba gear okay. on. Oh, good. Yeah, you look good at scuba gear. Good job. Um, okay, so there is just a reality that our general way that we do MPD is, is a practice that works really well with certain pockets of our country and not as well in other pockets of our country. And often that is um, along cultural lines. Um, Sometimes it's along, sometimes it is like along those cultural ethnic lines. Sometimes it's along socioeconomic lines, et cetera. But um, we, you know, and, and we've seen a lot of success with that. Honestly, we have thousands of staff who raise support in their 
I would even actually maybe propose that we've kind of like along the way helped the American church, the majority culture American church sort of embrace the kind of fundraising we do, especially as some of our staff have become pastors and sit on mission boards now. And, you know, we've been doing this for like, I don't know, 60 years. And so there's this general audience that's used to getting a call from a person they kind of know or not. And, you know, I work for crew. Oh yes, I've heard of crew. I know someone who was in it and, oh, well, I'm going to be working at this campus or with this ministry. And I'd love to tell you more about it. And then the person on the other end of the phone knows that tell you more about it means I'm going to give you the opportunity to like give me money every month so that I can go do it. And, and that's, it's been a super great way to get a lot of missionaries on the field because we have been able to, in a quick way, involve a lot of people and partnering a lot of people, you know, just little bits at a time. Everybody's little bit kind of gets to add up. The problems that we see, though, are when we move into communities that are less individualistic than majority culture America is. Um, since our most of our asks center on individual asks, we can sometimes forget that um, there's nothing wrong with a with a culture that wants to honor the collective community of their congregation. And, you know, we don't always provide the best tools for helping people navigate. Oh, before I ask individuals, I know I actually need the blessing of this church or I need the, um, instead of asking people individually to give, I might ask a group of people to give, or I might ask a group of people to give to a group of staff that that maybe has more, like translatable inroads, you know, that that might make more sense culturally for some people. Um, and then well, and I just want to interject for one second. So yeah. at some point we started figuring out that this like wasn't translating from majority culture very well. And, and there were things yes. that crew put in place to say, Oh, like, yeah. through, like how can we help these people get fully funded? And, um, yes. Like one of them was the Ethnic Minority Assistance Fund. I can't remember what year that came about, but that was where we could all yeah. as staff start contributing to fill in the gaps for people that yes. were coming from a cultural background where it just, it didn't work as well. Right. And that still is, um, I would say like, it's still an important like facet of the strategy that I think we need to like keep going moving forward. It's definitely um, provided some really needed funding. So as I've coached staff who come from a different cultural background than me or come from a different socioeconomic background than me, that being able to get the EMF funds means that they aren't like balancing a part-time job. They're getting paid by the organization right away. Cause that's often a question like, well, if they value so much, why aren't they paying you right away? And then, you know, you have to like go into this whole apologetic of our process and that can just get complicated. And, it's, it's not always like just an easy thing to um, accept necessarily. Um, it can actually look a little suspicious. <laughs> and so we're, yes, we're committed to actually paying you right away through this EMF. We're committed to making sure that you have as many hours possible as you can to working on raising your fundraising. But I think we've seen that we, that's not quite enough to really make our fundraising process be equitable for all staff. It just isn't. And so we have seen in MPD, I think a shift in the past few years, um, an openness to looking at different models of MPD. I know you've had TJ Poon on here to talk about the allied model. 
um, which we've seen great success in the intern world, and we're experimenting with what it can look like for long-term staff. If So if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. She, Sam can put in the show notes which number it is. That's right. But, TJ um, Poon. TJ Poon. It was a super great interview about the allied model. Um, and... But also we have seen, and I want to see this expand more. This is something that's like maybe my personal goal in my job is I want to see us as a staff community embrace more that my, that my supporters aren't just mine, that the support isn't just mine, that the, it's not just about getting myself to the field, but about looking at the whole of my team, looking at the whole of the the people around me at my new staff orientation and being willing to do what we are beginning to call advocacy for other staff. Um, What would it look like if um, instead of doing an increase ask, and I don't know, maybe you need to do an increase ask, that's fine, go do it. But what if maybe this year you decide that you don't need the increase ask in the same way and so instead you ask your partners to consider giving what you would have asked for in an increase ask to another staff person who really would benefit from reaching out to like new networks of people, you know? Um, What would it look like if a staff team um, not only spent time together raising support, but spent collective energy trying to make sure that like if they know of a partner who's really excited about um, reaching Latinos on campus that like, oh, then we want to make sure that this ministry partner gets to meet the Destino staff person here in our city. You know, like we're not going to just keep them, keep them for us, you know? And I don't think that anybody has been, I'm not accusing anybody of being like, like a malicious hoarder of names or something. You know what I mean? I just think it's like a subtle, um, human response, um, this fear of scarcity, this fear of um, territory. I think it's a bit in the air as Americans. I mean, America was founded by pioneers who just went and did things on their own. And, um, and so we can neglect some things that I think I think would help us as the body of Christ to like learn from cultures that are more collective by nature. Um, to, because we're called to be a collective body of Christ that cares for one another. When we look at like Acts 2, nobody had a need. They were, they cared for one another. You know, it wasn't just a bunch of individuals. Like I'm here with my like nice meal and you're over there with your hot pocket. You know, like there was like some mutuality and some generosity that I just think it's worth acknowledging that that's not something that in our American culture is like easy to do. It's countercultural for us to to think broader and to think about caring for others and to help everyone cross the finish line. So listen to this. This past summer in our intern program, we sent all these sweet interns out there to raise support in a pandemic. Honestly, in April, Sam, I thought, what are we doing? Should we just like cancel the intern program? What are we doing? Um because everybody had to do their appointments on virtual, like everyone's scared of everything. This was like, you know, crazy. But we, um, there's something about this summer opened up a huge door to like really expand really quickly a dream that my dear friend Corey Park had to have um, an, a coordinated advocacy effort for all interns. And so she and a few other staff helped set up advocacy coordinators to work alongside the intern coordinators to help 
find which interns are, you know, have a lot of MPD resources and which don't, and how can we like pair them up together to get everyone reporting as much as possible. We went from like typically, I think it's like in most most years we're at 80, 82, 83% reporting rate. This year we had 93% of interns report SAM. And this year for the very first time, 100% of the Destino interns reported. 100%. And it's because half a million dollars, advocacy dollars, were raised by interns to give to other interns. I just think Gen Z is going to save us. Can I say that? I just think, oh my gosh. Isn't that the best you've ever heard? Yeah. And so against so many odds are all these interns sharing the love of Jesus in a pandemic. Praise the Lord. You know? It's fantastic. Uh, TJ Poon, she says, my flourishing is bound up in your flourishing. That was sort of the paradigm shift, you know, to from... Mm -hmm. Just, you know, we, as you were saying, as Americans, majority culture Americans, we kind of grew up with um, more of an individualistic mindset. Like, we need to take care of ourselves, take care of our family, uh-huh. take care of our own, which is not bad. Of course, you, I mean, yes, that's oh, part right. of it. But um, mm-hmm. there is this beautiful idea, which is an Acts 2 idea, that we that my flourishing is bound up in yours. And... Um, I have loved yeah. benefiting from that lens from other cultures. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, when I, I heard her, when I heard her say that on your podcast, I like wrote it down and I thought about that, those words and like, what does it look like flourishing truly like not just my own flourishing, but others. And it's just such a beautiful picture. I kind of want to honor a refrigerator magnet, to be honest. Somebody yeah. make that and send it to me for Christmas. Could make like my happen. flourishing is bound up in yours. Yeah, yeah. that should be like yeah. our, that should be your MPD gift or something. It should be. Ooh, that makes me think I need to make that happen. I'll work on that. I can, I can work on that. You know, crew, but, um, yeah. I just have a word about crew ministry, ministry partner development. Cause you were saying, you know, how it's true. When we entered the pandemic, Darren and I were like, here we go. I mean, this is, this pandemic is going to hit all of our supporters and we don't know how. And we were like reaching out to them. Are you okay? You know, checking in. And, um, we, we lost one supporter because of the pandemic and they actually came back on our team later. They just had to shut their business down for a couple months when mm-hmm. everything was on really strict lockdown, but people kept giving to us. And there is mm-hmm. this, there's this thing, this very personal element to ministry partner development where what we've experienced is our, our partners are invested in us, you know? And it's so mm-hmm. humbling that we, because this pandemic has been so hard for so many people in so many ways. And the, to think that our partners would just continue giving to us through the whole thing is just mind-blowing and humbling. And But the reality is not everyone live Like, we live in a community where there is a lot of affluence. 
Totally. Or um, those jobs really easily can be done at home. So there's not a disruption in employment. That's right. um, Access to childcare when childcare got card again, you know. And Mm -hmm. so we've actually been trying to um, monitor this with our staff. And so we've sent out a few um, surveys to just see how our staff are doing, just self-reported surveys. And we've noticed that, I'm looking here um, at my second screen to try to read this right, that um, for our ethnic minority staff who've reported back to us, um, uh, it looks like a total of about a quarter of them have lost more than six ministry partners compared to um, non-ethnic minority staff um, have uh, like, oh, like not even 10% have lost that many supporters. It's like so low. You know, and so the reality that you've probably seen on the news of um, the pandemic hitting BIPOC communities in a more like a deeper way, both with the disease and economically is impacting some of our staff of color, you know. And so I think it would be really helpful for us to be mindful and aware of that to be um, empathetic and caring of that to our fellow staff, um, to consider prayerfully what can we do to help our friends, our BIPOC friends on staff, to be sure that they have the resources they need to do the ministry that we do together, you know? So um, we're a religious missionary order, And in that, you know, we take a vow that we are going to get our funds from the order and it's, you know, and it's a big deal. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's fine. And it's, I don't think that's ever even going to go away that we are all individually going to be asked to raise support towards that. But that doesn't mean that I only should get what I just happen in my narrow window of the world have have been able to acquire of the people I've met and maybe God um, wants to use us one another to provide for one another Uh, does that make sense I feel like maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit no I mean that makes that totally makes sense I know a lot of staff hearing this are going to want to come alongside they're going to want to help they're going to want to give they're they are going to want to be generous. And, and that is awesome. I also Mm -hmm. know that there's ways to be good allies and there there are ways to, that are not as great where it can feel like majority cultures just powering Uh over or just throwing money at something, even with the best intentions, the, the actual outcome is not always the best. So help us if we're, you know, if we are in the camp where we have not lost a lot of support or we did and we were able to replace it because of relationships we have in our community and Mm -hmm. we want to help bridge that gap Mm -hmm. for the staff who were, are way more affected by pandemic realities, Mm -hmm. how can we enter in? That's such a good question. 
So what we um, have developed that we tell our interns, and I am forever indebted to Kimberly Casanova and Sandy Hinkle for working so much on this material and blessing our organization with this, is that um, we and our crew family, to be a family who advocates for one another, we need to like focus on three building blocks to that. We need to leverage our God-given resources. That's what we're kind of talking about right now, knowing who has the resources, how can we leverage those in a way, but it shouldn't just be only these like resources we lever or leverage, but another bedrock to good advocacy is building strong mutual relationships with one another. And in that we value seeing our staff develop relationships that welcome one another, hospitality, that we stand with one another, solidarity, and that we express mutuality, like a need for one another, um, Honestly, it's, I'm, I think we're just talking some basic human dignity and relationship with one another. You know what I mean? So be willing to, if you step into a space, if you feel like you're called to stand in the gap for your fellow crew staff people, know that it's not just um, a money exchange, but I guess maybe it's as true to our, our MPD value of we're building partners. We're really at, we really want to see our staff build strong mutual relationships with one another and then also a commitment to empowering everyone to flourish. There's the flourish word again. It's so important that we want um, to have an eye to what are the needs of the people around us and being committed to making sure that they have them met. And so it, I have to say, I do think that this, just by nature of uh, we're humans and humans are messy, this probably will get messy. It just will. But I think the mess is worth it, especially if we're willing to walk in the light and to be humble. And if we do say something that comes across a little patronizing, we apologize. <laughs> if we um, are hurt by something that we um, give people an opportunity to like know how they've hurt us and to reconcile. Um, we're, we really want to see our staff to build relationships around this resource sharing that is our our MPD. And so I would advise you to deeply be committed to getting to know staff from a different cultural background than you and be open to, it's not that you're just moving into that relationship with something to offer, but that you also will have something to learn because they have a lot to offer you. And yeah, I feel like I could soapbox about this for a little while, but I do think I should just stop there and just let that hang. Like, just consider that it's not just, it's not just a staff account transfer. We're really wanting you to like, like relate deeply in loving ways with one another. Yeah. Uh, hospitality, solidarity, mutuality. Sandy Hinkle yeah. told me those words too last mm -hmm. year when we were having this conversation. And are those from a Sandra Van Ostel book on um, I'm, allies or, or anyway, I, we, if it is, we're going to put that in the show notes. Yeah. I am not sure. We should ask Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she, yeah. So I'm wondering, Michelle, how did, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Oh, that's okay. How, <laughs> I have a feeling that you're fine with that. <laughs> How diverse is your team culturally? And if, if you're not, then how are you learning about 
how to do this work, like how to make this process more equitable. Like who, who are you listening to and how are you learning these things? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. I will say if I'm looking at the MPD community as a whole, we're not super diverse yet. We do have some staff of color who coach, some dear friends, and we would love to see more staff um, who come from different cultural backgrounds to join us in MPD coaching. Um, And we're pursuing like how we can make MPD coaching a place that is like a really is a good job for someone who, you know, who wants to do that no matter their cultural background. Um, we are, I honestly, I think we are, we've been, I have been really impacted by a couple things that have really, um, shaped where I'm at and where I would say like our U S national team is at. Um, one is, um, in the process of the journey that our whole organization has been on at our U S staff conferences and learning more from staff, what they've experienced, in our organization. Um, I guess that's the timeline for me, but certain things aren't even just those sessions. But the book, The Minority Experience, have you read that yet? Um, I just think we should all read it. Um, the Minority Experience, written by, I am Adrian Pai. Please tell me I got that right. Um, wrote that book, and it is from the perspective of a crew staff person, an Asian man, and his experience being in this organization. And if we're not willing to listen to our own who are speaking up about their experience here, then I, I'm, I think we just need to check ourselves a little, you know. So that book is a must read, I think. And he spoke a lot about his experiences onboarding with us. Um, raising support with us and things like that and just like in general life things that have been really helpful also the the staff of color who have been leaders in the MPD world um, have been, have a lot of a platform and we, we trust those staff a lot um, I think of um, Jason Poon who's TJ's husband he's no longer on staff but he had such a foundational and shaping role in um helping to bring along a lot of like old middle-aged white people on his team to like understand his experiences. And also, I believe this was in 2017, the SLI project um, that Jermaine Chapman and Mark Vera and the guy from AIA and Sherry Brosenley did about MPD and people of color. Um, I've read that multiple times. We, We just really need to listen to like to the reports and the research that our own staff have done and believe them when they say that MPD has not been a place of flourishing. MPD has been hard and there are things that we can change. And I w- I'm happy to report that several of the suggestions in that particular SLI report we are doing now. Um, and we have hopes and plans to do all of those things. We um, really raise the bar of wanting to help all of our coaches to grow in their cultural journey. It's actually a... Um, on every single MPD leader's PDP, position focus, personal development plan to grow in cultural competency, like pick, like know where you're at and pick your next step. And so we're just, um, we're just trying to be humble listeners and learners. And 
I think that's just, honestly, I think that's really doing the minimum. Like our job is to help all of our crew staff to be fully funded. And if we see a very obvious gap where that's hard, then our responsibility is to move in with empathy and love and care and to learn why and to make it better. And so that's my commitment. That's Dave and Nancy Dickens' commitment. That's our team's commitment. And, you know, we're we're going to like keep trying to move into spaces where, um, that are uncomfortable, but are necessary for us to, I, I've been sharing this analogy where we are remodeling the house, you know? So like you, you've had this, like maybe this little cute, like 1950s Cape Cod that's been in PD and it's like served us well and there's good foundations and some of it's great and fine, but the house isn't big enough anymore. And some of those walls need to come down and we, we need to update a lot, you know, so we're committed to doing that. The house will look really different the next five, 10 years. It will. Well, and I think it, this touches on two of crew's four main priorities, diversity and partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it also reinforces the brand promise, which is journey uh-huh. together, which is what we're committed to doing with every image bearer in and Mm -hmm. out of the organization is journeying together. And Mm -hmm. so I think we should just end with a call to action. I'm winging this, but you're going to help me. I love it. I'm here. Yeah. Staff, if if you're listening, how has God positioned you in relationship where you could pray about helping bridge the gap, helping make sure that... Mm -hmm the staff around you, their flourishing is bound mm-hmm. up in yours. What would you, yes. what would you add to that, Michelle? That is a big and good word right there. Um, I would encourage you to make that question and that seeking like a habitual part of your life. Like not just this week when you listen to the podcast, but what could you do to build into your ongoing life and development a commitment to understanding other people's experiences that are different than yours and to be a person who is committed to one another in that mutual flourishing, which we, um, which just is the word. Flourish is the word right here, right? To be committed to that in an ongoing way. It's almost like we're asking you to have a new spiritual discipline of ongoing commitment to the flourishing of others, um, to be willing to advocate, to be willing to care, to be willing to be hospitable. Um, like, could you do that ongoing? Like, what would it look like to dream about, um, the next, you know, 10, 20 years, however many more years God's giving you on staff, sweet listener, what could it look like to, um, expand the scope and see God use you to help many more staff flourish with our organization. That's beautiful. Think about it.